you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, this is Dan Miller. I'm here to tell you, you can love your work. You know, just this morning I had somebody post a forum question on 48days.net, our social networking community, questioning the idea of having a dream job. That somehow, if you're trying to live out biblical principles, that it's probably just selfish, egotistical to have a dream job. Give me a break! Well, I mean, think about it as an earthly father. What would please you more? To have a son that just, you know, is going through the drudgery of life and really disliking every day? Or to have someone who comes home just full of energy and vigor, thrilled with what they're able to do? I mean, how can you make a case for a heavenly father thinking that it would make him happy If we're miserable all day, I just don't get it. I don't get that kind of theology. I don't get that kind of Christianity. I don't get that kind of any other spirituality. Just don't get it. Anyway, we're here to help you figure out how to find or create work that is meaningful, fulfilling, fun, enjoyable, and making you buckets of money at the same time. We want it all. We're going to be discussing your questions, questions from you, the listeners, as we go through today's 48 Days Online Radio Show. I'm going to kind of frame this today as, why are you so different? I'll give you a quotation to go along with that in a little bit. Here are some of the questions we'll be looking at. One says, Dan, you missed the boat on an answer on your last podcast. We'll talk about that. Dan, I'm going out of my mind living in Cincinnati. Guy wants to know how he can move, what he should do to start over. Can I create a business around the idea of testing new games? Dan, I have an occupation that I love. I hate my current employment. Now, that's kind of an interesting juxtaposition. I have an occupation that I love, but I hate my employment. All right, we'll look at that. In a nutshell, what are some of your tricks for staying focused? People often ask me how I produce what I produce. I'll tell you some of the tricks that I use. Dan, I would like your opinion on a new business idea. How successful would a business model be if, and I'll tell you what that is. Well, here's a quotation for the day, and I told you I'd talk about why you are so different. This comes from Bette Midler, who said, I didn't belong as a kid, and that always bothered me. If I'd only known that one day my differentness would be an asset, then my early life would have been much easier. Well, what do you think? Is your differentness a liability or is it an asset? Is there something that makes you stand out? Do you try to camouflage that so you blend in or do you use that as an a- asset to make you remarkable? Well, you know, this week I've had the pleasure of talking to lots of people and it amazes me the stories I'm hearing about how people are carving out unique, new and different things. Now, here's some quick examples. Terry Newberry came to our Right to the Bank event probably just last year, maybe the year before. Anyway, I just got yesterday his brand new book. It's gorgeous, beautifully done, called The Boss. Kind of an allegory about a little boy learning 
business lessons, but along the way, we're reminded about some important life lessons as well. Nicely done, beautiful book, hardcover version, and he sent me the audio version of that as well. I love to see that, where somebody came, took action, made something happen, birthed a new product, in this case, a book. Yesterday, we had our advisors call. The 48days.net advisors were on the line, and I asked each of them to tell kind of what they're doing this year. Well, we have, I think, 12 in that group and had some really interesting stories about what people are doing. Joel and Pay Bogus out of Dallas, Texas. Last year, Joel had the opportunity to spend a day with Rory Vaden. Roy Vaden, as a young guy who wrote a book last year called Take the Stairs, he took the advance that he got, bought a tour bus, hit the road, and started speaking at high schools across the country. He made it really advantageous for the high schools to do that, made it be so that they would actually benefit financially from doing that, but he sold a ton of books in doing that. And Joel had an opportunity to hang out with Roy for a day. Well, he got inspired. Joel and Pay have a new book coming out. They're going to do the same thing. They want to get a tour bus go around the country speaking, talking about their book. I mean, you know, isn't that cool to just see an idea that somebody else did and then just duplicate it, make it your own and do something fun. Rob Clinton is one of our advisors. Rob lives down near Atlanta. About a year ago, he was kind of on the fence about being a coach. He had positioned himself as a coach, had done some pretty cool things, I thought, in terms of positioning himself, great website, turning out new resources, but he was kind of on the fence. Came out of banking and he thought, eh, maybe it'd be easier just to get a job in banking. But he just made that decision. You know, he interviewed, he, of course, he interviews well, people were offering him jobs and he just didn't have a sense of peace about doing that. And he just made that critical decision. This is one of those, what Dr. Phil calls five defining moments in our lives. We've all had them. This was one for Rob. He decided he was going to be a coach. He just booked a client for a six-month process at a higher fee than what I've ever gotten, me, Dan, I've ever gotten from a single client. I mean, he's just knocking it out of the park. Once he made the decision, doors just started opening left and right. You know, I think it's a pretty good principle to remember. A lot of times if we're indecisive, if we're unsure, then everything looks to be kind of unsure. But once we really decide there's something almost magical that seems to happen. Doors start opening and it confirms our success once we've decided to move in that particular direction. Dan Waller is another one of our coaches. Dan's from North Carolina. I didn't know Dan a year and a half ago, I suppose it has been now. He just showed up one day. We had had people telling us we needed a 48 days app. Hey, you need a 48 days app. And I said, well, we'll ask our listeners, our audience, our readers, and see if anybody cares about it. And we had a few people that said, yeah, I'd be interested in that. I didn't think it was enough to really move forward. And in the meantime, we had people coming at us left and right saying they could do an app for us for $60,000. And then it was 40,000 and 30,000 and 20,000, then 10, then five. You know, it came down as a little bit of time went on, not very much time, but it came down dramatically what people would expect to be paid for an app. Dan Waller just appeared out of nowhere and said, hey, I've done a 48 days app. You want to take a look at it? See what you think. Well, I did. I was blown away. It had everything on there that we want. For those of you who have it, you know it's a phenomenal app. It gives you instantly the blogs that I do, 
the podcast, takes you right to our community. It has a 48-day schedule on there, has all those cool things right at the touch of your thumb as a 48 days app and i think it's like 99 cents might be a dollar 99 i'm not sure which what it is i we we let dan keep all the money now kind of think with me through this though how this happened he came to us he had already done it he had already invested his time energy whatever resources he had to to develop a full-blown 48 days app then he said what do you think about it well i could have rejected it So there's that possibility. I could have said, hey, man, this is all my proprietary material, so you need to just give it to me. Or I could have at least said, I need to get 50% of the profits from this. If you sell this and he sold, you know, a whole heck of a lot of them, you know, I ought to get 50%. I didn't do that. I said, you know what? This is phenomenal. I commend you on taking action. I'm going to support this. We're going to promote this through 48 days. Every penny that you get goes directly to you. We want the ability to promote special events as they come up through people who have have the app. He says, cool. We coordinated all that. We brought him on our advisory board so I could watch what he's doing. But his work is phenomenal. Now, here's the rest of the story. Today is the third day that he's on a new job. Guess what his new job is? He's with a small tech company that has plenty of funding where he is doing nothing but developing apps. How did he position himself in that way? He spent years working for a big box food service provider. So he didn't have developing apps in his background. He was doing that on the side just because he thought it was fun. But because he went ahead, took the initiative, did the 48 days app, he then had something to show. He showed the company that, and that was the major piece that impressed them enough to give him this opportunity. Isn't it interesting how that works? Now, what do we hear from college graduates today? Hey, dude, promise me $80,000 and I may show up for work on Monday. You know, give me three weeks vacation instead of two and I may agree to come work here. It's like standing in front of the wood stove of life saying, give me heat and then I'll start to put wood in. Or farmer who looks at his barren field out there and says, God, just give me a great crop of grain this fall and next year I'll actually, you know, plow it, fertilizer, plant some corn and, you know, do my part. But at least give me a crop of corn on the front end. Well, life doesn't work that way. But I love seeing things like what Dan did to position himself for this next opportunity by doing something for which he did not get paid. What a novel concept. A lot of examples like that. But anyway, uh, keep letting me know what you're doing. I love hearing these stories about people who are taking extraordinary action to create extraordinary lives. Let's go to our questions. Chris from Connecticut says, you missed the boat on an answer on your last podcast. This is referring to the coach who couldn't or wouldn't write to promote himself. Now, I talked about that. I said, I think it's uh, going to be tough, but there are certainly other things you can do without having to write. I did say that if you want to you know, gear up like Dave Ramsey, my buddy has done, you know, with lots of people around you, certainly you can have other people around you who do the writing even for you. But uh, kind of implied that as a solopreneur, you could speak and do other things without having to write. Well, Chris is saying, the solution, have him hire a ghostwriter. A large part of my income comes from writing blogs, newsletters, and social media posts for clients who can't write or are too busy to handle that part of their business. Most of my work is credited to the client, not me. I don't care that my name isn't on the byline, just as long as it's 
as it's on the check that they send to me on the 15th and 30th of every month. Well, point well taken. I, I agree with you. Personally, I'm not real fond of having ghostwriters create content. I have never had a word of one of my blogs or of one of my books that's been written by anybody but me. I still cringe a little bit. I know I have you know friends who are ghostwriters and certainly have friends who have other people write for them. Personally, I'm not real thrilled about that. I want the content that's presented as being from me to really be from me. So certainly some wiggle room there, and your, your point is well taken. Thanks for the note. Incidentally, if you are a writer and you want to develop that, man, come and join us for the Right to the Bank. We've only got one more of those events this year. It's our most popular event. It's going to be August 2nd and 3rd right here at the Sanctuary in Franklin, Tennessee. It's the converted barn on the back of our property that we live on. We got a new zip line up. Most of the events, we have a lot of content crammed into two days. It's Thursday, Friday. We'll fill your head and notebooks with a lot of content to help you turn your writing into something that's really profitable. But we have a lot of breaks as well where you can go down to the zip line or watch my grandkids go down the zip line if you want to. We spoil you with food and wander around the property through the nature trails and do all kinds of fun things to make it a memorable time. But will you leave with the tools to make your writing a profitable part of what you're doing? That's right to the bank, August 2nd and 3rd. It's our lowest cost event. I think it's four ninety-seven. There are probably discounts on that depending on who you come with or if you've been here before. But check it out at 48days.com, right to the bank. Love to see you here. James says, I'm going out of my mind living in Cincinnati. I want to move to Charleston, South Carolina for a number of reasons. I'm also infected with the entrepreneurial bug, a nice disease to have. I really don't want to go spend the rest of my life working for someone else. I've been thinking of what businesses I can start immediately when I move with the assets I already have. I have $3,000 in savings and a full-size pickup truck that's in good condition. I'm also a right arm amputee. I'm still active and most tasks are still within my capabilities. With that said, what are your thoughts about starting a power washing business? Well, I think that a power washing business is is great. I mean, golly, I just called a guy recently because I had two porches and a sidewalk that I wanted to have power washed. He came out here and did that. So I think the business idea is fine. However, I think this ought to be the very top choice out of a list of about 20. So I would caution you against going there too quickly. What I would encourage you to do is make a list of 20 ideas, then find the best three or four matches in that list of 20 with what you know about yourself. Now, personally, as a right arm amputee, I would be looking for something less physically intensive. Power washing is brutal for someone with two arms, let alone one. I'm, I'm confident there have got to be 20 business ideas, things that would not be as challenging as a right arm amputee as power washing, where you normally, you know, you've got that, man, you've got all the back pressure that you're having to hold that thing down, you're having to move equipment around, put your power washer on and off your truck. I would look for something other than that. And I commend you on being willing to jump up to the plate on whatever it takes. 
but I would find something that's a better fit. I mean, we all want something that fits us. It's not a matter of just identifying, here's a business that I think would be profitable. No, what fits you? What fits you in terms of your skills and abilities, your personality, your passions and dreams, and your physical assets and limitations? I mean, that's just a reasonable way to look at it. I would encourage you to make a long list before you decide on something that seems to be especially challenging. Well, here, this uh, comes from Mikkel, who says, Dan, I'm a gamer. Now, this is certainly not my area of expertise, but we can follow through with what he's talking about here. I'm a gamer. However, I'm well aware that playing video games is not a way to make money. However, I've been part of the game testing community, and I'm looking to build a plan for other game testers and game designers to outsource their closed beta or alpha beta so that game testers can make money or even have a job as a gamer. Think about a major company like Blizzard or BioWare. They have developers that developed great games, and yet they may only have 20 or 10 or 20 people to test the game at allowed hours during work hours. If I were to develop a reason and a cause to improve a game's functionality, replay value, story, etc., that could drastically improve every game that goes through our plan. Most gamers play games usually at night. With my company plan in mind, I could end up with game testing going on 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. This could give reason to major companies to outsource their games to my company. I'm not sure where to get started. I don't feel like I'm really ready to take on the big name companies like Blizzard or BioWare. I know all the footwork, like getting my DBA and developing the contracts, but I don't know how to kick start this off the ground. I currently work for a dead end job and hate what I do. Please help. Well, Mikkel, your your idea makes perfect sense. No question about it. But the question is, can you develop a business plan that works? So start with developing a business plan. You can go to our site and just pull down resources and get one there, work through that, identifying who is your market, what problem would you solve for them, how would you have to charge the company. I mean, it certainly can't be that by the hour. No company is going to play gamers by the hour to test their product. You know, gamers can sit down and go for six hours straight just playing a game. That's not necessarily all going to be valuable time in terms of developing new ideas or testing. So it'd have to be some other kind of model. And then you have to develop how you would pay your subcontractors. You just have to make sure that it has a real tangible value. Now, as an author, as an example, I can get readers, proofreaders, editors all day long for free. I mean, it'd be hard to make a case for me to pay for those services, even if someone was very good at doing it. And I think that's kind of what you're up against here. Do these people have to pay to just have guys practice on their games? I'm not sure that they do. I would suspect that gamers, game companies can put things out there for testing and get a whole lot of feedback from people who are happy to do it as volunteers. Again, I'm not in that industry. I think you can make a case for what you're doing, but you, you've got to test it to see if, in fact, companies are willing to pay for that. Now, here's an example. And, and yes, you can, you can write a proposal. You can go right after the big companies. No problem with that at all. Here's an example. I was contacted, this was years and years ago, by a major bank, major international bank, but they had a location here in, offices here in Nashville, and they said they were having a major problem with turnover and upper level management. Could I help them address that? I said, sure. The first thing I want you to do is do an internal audit and you determine what it costs you to lose somebody in that kind of a position. 
What does it cost you to lose somebody in terms of production time down and then recruiting, training time to get somebody new and up to speed? They did. They came back and said $16,000. Now, that's really quite low, but I didn't question them on that at all. They gave me their figure. I said, okay, so if we can reduce turnover in those positions by 10%, it would save you X number of dollars. And it was an enormous amount of money because of the number of people that they were losing in that position. And they said, yes. So let's say that it would save them a million dollars. I said, okay, yeah, we can do that. We can address that. Our goal is to reduce by more than 10%, but now you know that you're going to be saving you know, X number of dollars. Yes. I said, my fee for doing that is $8,000 a day. I'll come in, have 20 people in the morning. We go through a workshop, help them maximize their leadership abilities, identify who fits and who doesn't. I'll have lunch with senior management and do another group in the afternoon. They says, when can you start? Now, see, if I would have walked in and said, my fee is $8,000 a day to work with your company, they would have said, what are you nuts? I mean, nobody gets paid that. $1,000 an hour, you know, eight hours straight. No, but I framed it based on the value it was going to bring their company. We're going to reduce this hemorrhaging hole in the bucket that you have by addressing this specific issue. And if we do so, it's going to save you you know, $500,000 a year and you're going to pay me this small amount in comparison. So you have to be able to do that. Just do it in that same way. Show the gamers how you would bring that kind of value to what you're doing. Well, hey, that's just Transition Musin telling you that this is Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online radio show, where each week we break down your questions, real-life questions, with you asking things that are challenging you, and together we can figure out ways to go to higher levels of success. If you've got a question, go to 48days.com, click on the podcast link, and you'll see a little box jump up there where you can answer, ask your question, and I'd be happy to answer that in an upcoming radio show. Sheila from Texas says, Dan, I'm a business analyst for a company that I've worked at for about 11 years now. It was my first job and I just stuck around. I would say that I'm 60% content at my job. The reason I've held on to my job is that the company has been good to me. I have three young children, eight, four, and two, and I work 30 hours with good benefits. They're very happy with my work and feel that I'm exceptional at it. I have a bachelor's in communication and a master's in early childhood education. I want to do something on my own and to work from home. I'm just so blessed where I am and don't know where to go from here. Please help me get to the next level. And Sheila from Texas. Well, Sheila, what a perfect setup for doing something on your own. You work 30 hours. Now, let's just think about it here. Let's do kind of a zero time budget. So you work 30 hours. That means that you now have 138 hours in the week left where you can decide in advance how you're going to use those. Now take a look at yourself. So you start a business that reflects you and your unique skills and abilities, your personality, your passions, make a list of 20 to 30 possibilities. Then using what you know about yourself as a filter, narrow that list down to three or four. Do a little bit more research, then choose one and act. Now, here's the next step. When your income from your new business duplicates or exceeds your regular job income, then you'll be in a position of maximum strength. So if you're making $60,000 a year now, 
that's $5,000 a month. So what if you got this side business up where you're making $5,000 a month there? Then you can choose whether you want to leave your job, continue expanding in your business. But with what you describe, you don't have to risk anything, burn any bridges or decrease your income at all. Another thing that's going to be a continuing theme in today's show is the fact that even if you're in a good job, you're not trapped. A lot of people have more difficulty leaving a good job than a bad one. And I guess that makes sense, makes logical sense, but they feel almost more trapped in a good job than a bad one. Well, you don't need to feel trapped. And if you know that there's that sense of unrest that you have, that there's something better out there, create a plan even when things are good and start moving toward that. Jeff from Mississippi says, Dan, I have an occupation that I love. It's in a service industry. I hate my current employment. It's an in-house situation and I'm used to hustling and being busy making service calls and dealing with customer problems. Here, I basically do nothing. My current employment, now let me, let me just frame this. I have no idea what kind of job Jeff has, but let's just say that he is in the heating and air conditioning business. So he used to be making service calls. So he's out there helping people address problems, taking care of things. And now he's working the counter in a heating and air conditioning supply house where he may spend six hours a day and nobody's even in there. A couple hours where people in there, he's filling orders. Let's just kind of at least put some legs on the scenario that he's describing here. He says, here I basically do nothing. My current employment has great retirement and, and packages. I have a job that a lot of people would love to have. But this is piddly work and my talents and skills are not being challenged. The security is great. I feel so guilty for wanting to leave. I wrestle with the thought that I'm selling myself out for security and now it's affecting me in all areas. I've read your book and I'm looking for some advice and maybe some more direction. Well, the first thing I would do, Jeff, is look for opportunities to create value in what you're doing now. You say you're in a job that's not challenging you, you're bored, you're not really doing anything, or just piddling the time away. Look for ways to create new value. What could you do there that is not being done by the other four people in the same position, has not been done historically in that position, but what could you do to be remarkable? But here's the other thing. You don't have to resign yourself to, this is as good as it gets. But remember that old Jack Nicholson movie, As Good As It Gets, great movie. You know, decide what would be the ideal position for you. Spend 30 days doing a professional job search to find that. See, this is, I want to expand on this a little bit. No one is trapped whether the job is great or stinks. And sometimes people feel more trapped or obligated to stay in a job they hate because the conditions and circumstances are really good. Now, we know that old adage. I mention it often on here. The good is the enemy of the best. Good is the enemy of the great. Sometimes the good is harder to leave than the bad. And yes, people often feel just as you do, Jeff. They feel guilty because, wow, I've got a cushy job. I'm being paid well, good benefits, apparent security. Why would I leave here? Well, if there's that unrest, don't just try to push that under the carpet. It'll give you ulcers or worse. The key is, can you describe and find something better? Now, this is not about being selfish or egotistical. That thing I mentioned at the beginning where, gee, I think it's selfish to look for a dream job. No, this is about releasing your very best. You cannot be your best in a job you hate. Absolutely impossible. 
Let me say that again. Got some of you probably questioning that already. You cannot be your best. You cannot do your best work in a job that you hate. It's absolutely just impossible by definition. It won't work. You've got to be in something that you love to release the best skills that God has put in you. And if you want to be something that somebody that God is proud of at the end of the day, you better be in a dream job. You better be in a job that you love because that is where you're going to be everything he designed you to be. Well, Margie from Hendersonville, Tennessee says, in a nutshell, what are some of your tricks for staying focused? I deal with ADD and I found it difficult to stay focused and keep my mind and goals clear. Well, Margie, don't be too concerned about dealing with ADD, attention deficit disorder. There's a whole lot of fancy acronyms and titles for people who have high energy and are creative. Sometimes I think we overuse, well, I always think we overuse those terms and trying to stifle, especially in kids in school, we medicate them to get rid of their creativity so they sit their butts in a chair for six hours a day. Well, that's unnatural for any kid to do. And for any adult to do, incidentally, I might add, do you really think that we're wired to just sit our butts in a chair and spend eight hours looking at a computer, the kind of work that we do now? I can't do that. Now, I've been told, too, that I have ADD, and I probably do, but I've never... late awake at night worrying about that i just structure my work day and play day so that it all fits together but i would go nuts in a cubicle as an example i mean i you know have people who have fancy office buildings here close by and they say geez dan why don't you just move your office over here you know we'd work together on things i'm saying you got to be kidding me it would take a team of wild horses to get me out of where i work you know working out here in a converted barn got this gorgeous window right here beside me a little waterfall outside i see the deer and fox running around on the property out here tons of birds that i feed and spoil right out here and this morning saw a deer and a little tiny fawn walking across our yard i mean that's the kind of work environment i have i know that may seem tough for everybody to duplicate and maybe you can't but for me i knew what i wanted And I just, over time, developed it so it was exactly what I wanted. Now, to to work effectively, if you know you have ADD or ADHD or bipolar or any other other name you want to hang on it, whatever, remove distractions. Now, when I say remove distractions, I don't work in a barren room. I work in a very rich, full, exciting environment. I had somebody walk in here just last week, and they said, oh, my gosh, your office is so peaceful. And so alive. And I said, yeah, I designed it as such. Have a lot of eagles in here that I've purchased or people have given me over the years. I have tons of books around me. I've got rich leather, you know, furniture, design chairs. I've got chairs that have eagles coming out the side and have tapestry back. I've got a, a real cool carpet down, you know, dark colors in here. I mean, I've got an office that I designed every piece of it, every stitch of it, so that it would be a conducive place to work. But when I say remove distractions, also, when I work, there's no phone in my office. I don't have email set to automatically load, so it's ding, ding, ding. You know, I'm not getting tweets in on my phone. I work in an environment that allows me to focus. If there's one thing that has contributed dramatically to my productivity, it is that. It's being able to work in uninterrupted blocks of focused time. But what I do is I work for an hour or two. 
and then I give myself a break. And right now it's dry here, so I may go out and water some flowers. I may walk down to the mailbox. I may go to lunch with one of my, one of my granddaughters. And there's all kinds of things that I do to build into my day breaks so that I can then come back. I don't try to stay focused for eight hours without interruption. I absolutely cannot do that. And uh, suspect that you can't either, Margie, if you're asking a question about having ADD. So identify what is your maximum working time? I mean, for some people, it's like a 90-minute cycle. But now also keep in mind that when there is a distraction, even if somebody answers an email or the phone rings or somebody walks into your office, they tell us it takes about 18 minutes to get back fully engaged in the task you were doing previously. So what if you had an interruption, if it's an email or a tweet came in or the phone rang and you answered it, and then you spent 15 minutes, now you're getting back into the work groove again and you have another interruption. We again, you broke the cycle. I mean, a lot of people never really do get fully focused on a task, and so their productivity stays really surface. They never really get very deep in a project. Well, I don't want to be that. I want to be able to go to give it my very best in a project that I'm working in, and hey, you can do the same. This comes from Joe from New York. Dan, love your books and podcasts. Great stuff. Here's one from for you. I've spent a lot of time identifying my skills, abilities, passions, etc., and I'm confident that I have identified them successfully. They involve helping people with addictions and those coming out of prison to successfully transition into being responsible individuals, parents, employees, and community members. Here's the catch. From my research, it seems a career like this involves certain education, certification requirements. In addition, the income prospects appear to be about one third or less than my current corporate salary. Ouch. I'd love to hear your thoughts. All right. You have the skills you described, Joe, the skills to help people with addiction and those coming out of prison to successfully transition into being responsible individuals, parents, employees, and community members. Wow. Those skills have a broad application. Those skills that you describe are valuable to people anywhere on a social, socioeconomic scale. By that, I mean they're valuable to a homeless guy. They're valuable to a $400,000 CEO. So you get to decide where you want to focus your time and energy in a way that matches your personal goals. As an example, with what you're describing here, you could be a coach to high achievers and then volunteer five hours a week helping those who can pay very little. Now that's pretty much a description of what I do is exactly that. Joanna and I do a lot of ministry work helping those who can afford nothing or very little. Yeah, we have a heart to help those, but we don't spend all our time there. We spend our time doing things in a business that creates significant income so that we then can do those things that are worthwhile, humanitarian, godly, and ministry, and all those things, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, we can do those, but we don't, we don't do it in a way. We, we do other things, like I just described, to create a financial stream so we can give to the needy, but without having to hold our hand out, hoping someone will give us money to support that program, or without having just to eke by, not having our own needs met very well. No. I mean, I just looked at a personal mastery program that I seriously considered. If I would have been able to work out the time requirements, I would have done it. But it was $8,500 to be part of a group along with 19 others for a six-month 
personal mastery process. So 20 people in the group, each paying $8,500. Now that's $170,000 for a six month program. If the leader does nothing else, but now I know the leader well, and obviously he's doing a whole lot of other things, but if he does nothing else, but have one other group during the course of a year, that's $340,000. Now what is he doing? He's helping people transition into being more responsible individuals, parents, employees, and community members. I mean, the goals that you describe are much the same as what he describes for that particular group. He's just positioned himself to help a different clientele. This is not an either or. You can do both and just decide how you're going to position yourself. Hey, that's a good time for me to drop in a note about the Coaching with Excellence, too. Coaching with Excellence is our other major event that we've got coming up yet this year. It's going to be here at the Sanctuary, just outside of Franklin, Tennessee, September 13th and 14th. Now, the last one we had was the biggest event we've ever had here. We we try to cut the group off at 48 participants for that because it's so intense in what we're doing. Uh, but at that one, we had 53. So that's a really full house. But if you're interested in positioning yourself as a coach, jump on 48days.com. Just look at the live events. Coaching with excellence. That's where we teach you how to take those skills, position yourself so that you can have a very profitable business in addition to giving to the neediest people out there. Absolutely, you can do that as well. Okay, well, that's just another reminder. This is Dan Miller in the 48 Days Online radio show, where each week we take your questions, breaking them down in ways that can help all of us go to higher levels of success. If you've got a question, go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link, you'll see a little box jump up there. You can submit your question there. I'd be happy to consider that for an upcoming show. Well, Steve from Pasadena, Texas says, I like your opinion on a new business idea. How successful would a business model be if it was based on helping college students find their classrooms using an iPhone app? The app would have four plans of each building on campus. The upside would be that there would be new students every year that could be helped by using this app. The possible downside would be that the students might only need this app one time to find their classroom for the first time. I found a CAD designer that would draw the floor plans for $286 per floor plan. I've searched iTunes for similar apps, but I've only found those that provide maps to each building on campus without providing classroom locations. What do you think about this idea? Please give me your honest opinion. Thanks. Steve, you can count on me giving you my honest opinion. My honest opinion is it's a pretty weak business idea. Here's why. It's not scalable. You're using technology. The thing that is appealing about technology is that it's scalable. As an example, if you develop a software of some kind, you don't have to go back every day and recreate that. You have now got something that can be sold hundreds of thousands of times over. Now, theoretically, with an app, you have the same thing, except you've chosen something that doesn't have that kind of reach or scalability. You've chosen something that's going to have a very, very tiny, tiny niche market. You're going to have it limited to students on a particular campus. You're going to be limited by the buildings on that campus. Every semester, you're going to have to redesign your app showing how classes have changed, what rooms are going to meet. It's way too much labor. It defies all the advantages of a mobile phone app because it's so restricted by the logistics 
of what you're trying to do. Now, yeah, put this in the same categories of everything we're talking about in these other kind of framings. If you want to do an app, then list 20 to 30 things that you could do an app for. And I guarantee you this one is not going to make the cut in coming to the top. This comes from Sam. Sam says, can you identify a dead end job? How does someone know if they're in one? How long should someone wait under a salary freeze at a company? I work for a private company, so I have no idea how much money it might make. No one has been laid off during the recession, but I've not gotten a raise in four years. Well, I looked on Wikipedia. A dead-end job is a job in which there is little or no chance of progressing and succeeding into a higher-paid position. Such work is usually unskilled, and the phrase usually applies to those working as shelf stackers, cleaners, or other menial jobs where the pay is low and the hours are long. Now, having raised the question, I suspect, you suspect, you are in a dead-end job. It may not fit those characteristics exactly, but if you think you're in a dead-end job, then it deserves to be addressed in some way. And you're not a prisoner of the company you work for, even though nobody's been laid off, so you still have a job. The fact that you haven't gotten a raise in four years is pretty alarming. Has the cost of living gone up? Yeah. You know, have groceries gone up? Has gasoline gone up? Are your expenses more and getting back and forth to work in that period of time? Yeah. So you effectively have lost income. If you've not gotten a raise, your pay has gone down dramatically. But the real point is, you're not trapped there. You, you work for yourself. You currently have one customer, and that customer is paying you less and less. If you want a new customer, go find that. Now, I hope you understood that framing of that analogy there. If you want a new customer, that means do a job search, so you go out here and get a new customer. But recognize you are self-employed, no matter what. No matter what. If you choose to have one customer, that means you're in a pretty traditional kind of job, that's fine. But if you want multiple customers, go find them. I mean, you're in the driver's seat here, so I would encourage you to do a job search pronto to figure out if there are, in fact, better opportunities for you. Mark says, Dan, I love what I do as a digital content producer, web design, copy photos, video, social media, graphics, etc. But my paycheck isn't where I'd like it to be. I was considering taking my talents and skills and trying to partner with content experts to package their knowledge and create information products. I would be a paid, I would be paid a commission for this service. There would be no cost to them as an author and content provider in your own right. Does this sound like a valuable service? I'm definitely open to your thoughts on other opportunities and appreciate your feedback. Well, thanks Mark. Um, You know, when you say you're just making things look good, putting brochures and stuff together, yeah, sure, that has value. But I think you got to scramble. I think it's challenging to position yourself in not creating any new content, but just making other people's content look better. I mean, we do have people do that, but we don't spend much money on that. With crowdsourcing the way it is, if we want a new book cover design, we can have somebody do that. We put it out on CrowdSpring or 99designs. Wow, we can get gorgeous designs done for five, six hundred dollars. If we want a complete layout of a book where somebody is doing photos and editing and putting social, putting all the, the things together like that, I mean, it's not very costly to do that. I think you're 
going to keep yourself at the low end of the totem pole by just making other people's work look better rather than creating content of your own. Well, here's a a question says, you talk about the magazines you read, one being Success Magazine. Can you tell us what magazines you read on a regular basis? Sure. What magazines do I read on a regular basis? Let me think a minute. Success, certainly the top of the list. Inc., Fast Company. Now, you're going to hear a variety up here in here. Trust me. Entrepreneur, Reader's Digest, Birds and Blooms, Charisma, Wired, Christianity Today, Ode, Utney, Costco Connection. I could probably go on with others. I enjoy magazines, but you'll see they're not all just specific business magazines. There's a wide variety of things in there uh, that I enjoy. Rick says... Dan, I've been interested in playing the drums all my life, but I didn't take it up as a hobby until two years ago at the age of 42. It's something I'm definitely passionate about, but I'm not sure I can become good enough to make a living doing it. I hear stories that the music industry is a hard way to make a living, and there's a lot of talented and experienced musicians to compete with. Should I keep it just as a hobby? Well, I I think it's a reasonable question. I don't think everything you enjoy should be turned into an income generator. Now, in as much as I talk about, you know, do something you love, certainly, but I think there's a lot of things that I love, as an example, that I do that I have no intention of turning them into income generators. I love the gardening. I'm growing hostas. I've got about 120 hosta plants, about 45 different varieties out here. Nurture those, take care of them. I'm not looking to turn this into a nursery where then you know, sell the reproduction of hostas or anything or charge admission to come look at them. No, it's just a hobby. I want to keep it as such. There are a lot of things you can do like that. Last night I was watching, I saw Odessa Settles singing. She is a uh, lady from here in town, comes from a long family line of singers. When she sings, it moves me like few other people in the world. She, she sings with her entire body and she, she's just amazing. Now she was, comes from a long line of musicians i mean she has done acting modeling spoken word recording projects she sings a lot of things obviously she's a highly paid speaker i mean a musician no she's not she's a nurse at vanderbilt she's a coordinator in the pediatric ward and does these long longitudinal studies where they track premature babies that's what she does she loves working with babies but her singing is amazing There's a lot of things I think we ought to keep in the camp of enjoying them rather than just forcing them into a model where we end up frustrated. There's a whole lot of musicians here in Nashville, talented, gifted, awesome musicians who aren't being paid a penny for their musical skills. They continue to sing, to serve, to enjoy it in a whole lot of ways, but they have some kind of a core career that provides their income. That's not a disconnect. That's not being disingenuous at all. It's probably being responsible. A lot of people are going to do much better being providers for their families by doing something where they have skills they know they can engage easily than trying to get out here and scratch and claw and then be disappointed because their music gig isn't lining up like they like it. Well, here's a recap. Some of the key questions. Identify where you're different. Do you see that as a liability or as an asset? When you have a business idea, create a business plan on paper first. If you can't make it work on paper, it probably won't work in reality. Another thing that seemed to be a theme today, don't allow yourself to be trapped. Even if you're in a good job, 
Be confident you can do good and do well at the same time. And some passions are best left as hobbies. Hey, remember, the we've got the Wisdom Meets Passion cruise coming up February 9th to the 16th. This next year, it's not too early. We got people registering for that. I just registered us. We're going to have a great time on there discovering your passions, your wisdom, how you can engage those. You know, there's nothing like being out at sea with some high achievers, rubbing shoulders with others who are maybe on the path that you want to be on as well to unlock your own ideas, like some of the ones I shared early in the show today where people have discovered things they want to do by hanging around others who are already on that path. Well, thanks for being part of this growing community. Check out the action at 48days.now. We have a whole lot of people there who are linking arms, about 12,000 strong now, sharing ideas and bringing life to those things that we talk about right here on the 48 Days online radio show. So enjoy the process of finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.